Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Um, let's stand. Ah, repeat after me, I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me, and the Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. My past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me, because in His presence is where I live. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, let me just tell you some things that are stirring in my heart. Um, We'll get to the message here in a little bit. Um, I, I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit uh, here today. So last weekend, obviously, I, I was not here. I was in Des Moines uh, hugging on a little grandbaby of mine, which is kind of the sweetest thing. Those of you who have grandkids know what that's like. And um, I've only got one, and so uh, she's going to be incredibly spoiled. So... Um, with love. Um, she even got to, she even spent the night with us um, on Tuesday, which was a, a treat. And so, um, anyway, the other reason why I was down in Des Moines is because I was going to uh, catch up on, uh, at Heartland Church. I, I don't know if you guys know much about Heartland Church. I, I'm connected with, to a guy by the name of Christopher Olson, who was a who was a, a pastor that helped start that church, and his brother is the pastor of it, and it's in Des Moines. There's like maybe three locations. Uh, good church, love God. Christopher came up when Leif was here, because he was the bald guy, and uh, praying, helping pray for people and stuff like that. And Chris and I kind of text back and forth now and then. And so I knew that uh, a guy by the name of Lou Engel was going to be at their church, and Lou is going around, for those who may have heard about that, it, maybe this will help you. That's Lou, right, whenever he talks. Um, Lou is connected to a stream of people. That, it's, a, it's a stream of us as well, too. It's, it's a, uh, um, there used to be things going around the country called the call. And so I took um, a group of Ashford students to the call in Detroit, taking my life into my own hands, but it worked out. And so um, a lot of good stuff that, that happened there. And um, things going on in their lives and stuff like that, and there's been like a uh, a, a switch, a switch, a, swi a shift um, in from the call turning into something called the send. And um, so Lou was talking about what God was doing with them, and I, as I was in that congregation, um, I began to really feel things start to stir in me again. That um, there's two things. One, we're praying on Monday nights at seven o'clock. And uh, it's just a desperate prayer meeting is all it is. And uh, I remember the first time we got together, uh, some things started to come alive. You know, it's like you get in that, that vein where all of a sudden what you feel may have been like closed off or not gotten into a while, all of a sudden it's somewhat kind of bursts open and all and dreams and you, you, you're in the presence and all these things start flooding into your mind and stuff like that. And it's kind of a reawakening of, of things. Some might call it a, you know, uh, putting a little bit of glass of water on that flower and, and watching that flower just react to the, the fresh water, right? And that's a prelude to the, to the dam breaking and uh, the glory of the Lord coming forth. So there's little spots of, of glory sometimes before God moves in greater fashion. Um, so in those prayer meetings, um, you know, it's, it's, it's dreaming. It's, it, you really feel the presence of God moving, and it's nothing more than just sitting down with people and praying. So that is kind of what's been awakening a little bit in me. And then when I went to um, Des Moines, listening, a lot of the same things started to happen again. Um, it's, 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 it's the unity that happens when people who are, uh, have a unity in the Lord that don't come with um, agendas. They, they're just so desperate. They just, they just want to be in that place with the Lord. And, and a lot of times, some of those people will refuse to be denied in, until he comes, right? Jacob's like, you're not getting out of here till you bless me, right? We're wrestling with the Lord. Um, uh, so anyway, um, Lou was talking about some things, and um, there's a fast that I, I want to call the church to, okay? It's a 40-day fast 
don't worry, it's not a hard one. It's not denying food for 40 days, but it's going to be what we would call a, a Daniel fast, okay? And this Daniel fast is going to go from March 2nd, and it's going to go to April 14th, okay? And um, it's in a little bit of, of what they're doing as well, but there's, there are going to be three, three facets to this fast. Uh, the first facet is... is um, I don't know if you know the name William Seymour, but he was the primary guy in Azusa Street in like 1908, around that area. If you know anything about Azusa Street, it was a massive outpouring to the world. So when things happened in Topeka, Kansas, it was like that outpouring in Topeka was like revivalists describe it as something that hit America. Azusa was something that broke out and hit the entire world because things just launched all over the world from Azusa. And so there, around that time, there were like three, three revivals that were happening, one down in Texas, Topeka, and then Azusa Street. And Azusa Street, most people know more of because of just the dynamic and incredible crazy things that were happening. Now, um, if you don't know much about that, research it for yourself and, and, and see um, a lot of other stories that broke out from that place. Um, then, uh, uh, so Topeka to the United States, Azusa to the world. And so William Seymour was a guy that was at Azusa Street. So in, in 1922, uh, William Seymour gave a prophecy. He said in 100 years, there'll be a revival so strong that it will eclipse Azusa Street. Guess what time it is? Guess what time it is? It's, it's, it's 2022. So we're at that 100-year mark. Now, th- things in the Spirit can happen, but people don't lay hold of it. And, and there will be churches where God is, is sweeping that will miss it and criticize it, like they did during Azusa Street and stuff like that, because either they're stooped in their tradition and they don't want to change, Maybe their hearts are hard. I, I don't know. I don't want to be that way. So part of this fast is laying hold of, of a revival that uh, I, don't, I don't want God to pass me by. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's looking, you know, the Bible talks about looking for, for men and women, right? And I, I, I don't want him to pass by this doorstep. I, I want him to visit me personally in incredible ways, and I think he desires to do that. And so, um, but the question then comes is like for people individually and people uh, corporately is, are you willing to so-called pay the price for that? This is not a price that you pay with money or anything like that. It's not a price that you pay if I really want to get myself together. It's not that. It's a price of, of desperation of uh, I, I'll, I'll pray, I'll fast because I just don't want this to to go by me. I, I want everything that God has because it's not really relegated to a year. I, I think what's going to happen is, is, is 2022, um, this revival that happens could be a launching point for, for decades to come. So the influence is not going to be just felt for a year. The influence is going to be felt for years and years and years and years to come. And I don't want to miss that. I'm not looking to be exalted. I'm not looking to be put on a higher platform. I want to be in the presence and in the, in the river of, where, of the current of where God is, is taking these next few decades. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Nobody does. But we do understand the times and the signs that we are living in. Right? Okay? So it could be tomorrow. It could be, ten, it could be another 100 years from now. That's up to him. But the, regardless of the fact, since I don't know, I want to live like it's going to be tomorrow out of a desperation to see his things come for today. So uh, the second thing is, um, I've talked about this before, but I, I really feel there's a, a deeper need, a follow-through with this, is that most of you know, uh, in some way, shape, or form, for those of you who've been here for a long time, what the prophetic words that have been spoken over this church in the years past, what they are. And I would probably say that um, they haven't been fulfilled yet, okay? And if you're looking with outward eyes, you might say, man, when is this ever going to, you know how people, you tarry and you get tired and am I ever going to see this? Is this ever going to happen, right? Well, 
have we fasted for it? Have we believed in it? Or have we just sat back in our chairs and like, I wonder when this is going to come. You, you lay hold of the things that God has spoken. You don't, in, in our culture sometimes we just sit back and we wait. But that's not the culture of the kingdom, right? That's not what he's talking about when um, these people are laying hold of Jesus and saying, uh, you know, uh, feed me. Hey, it's, it, I can't feed you. I can't do anything for you. I'm come for the house of Israel. I can't do anything for little dogs. Yes, but even dogs get the crumbs, right? And so finally he's looking, he rewards your faith, right? We see that in scripture. Pray, seek, knock, right? All these different kinds. These are not just cliches in the scripture. This is a, an, an understanding and an idea of how you're supposed to live in the kingdom of the culture from heaven that you are in, but surrounded by a culture of a world. So you're laying hold of, and not only that, but prophetic words. What does Paul Paul, tell Timothy, you got to lay hold of the prophetic words that were spoken over you because you're going to use those to fight with. Okay? So, have we fought for those prophetic words that were spoken over our church? Now, first we got to do is we got to remember <laughs> what were those words. And I remember coming in, I don't know if it was you, Kelly, or someone, but one of the prophetic things that were spoken of is, is the highways lined with cars coming into this place. Now, that's not about that's not about me. That's not about anything. That's, that's where the Lord has desired to dwell, <laughs> let me just say, in the thickness of who he is, right? There's times when the Lord just dwells in a, in a moment. But I, I'm not looking for something that lasts two weeks or six weeks. I'm looking for this place to become a dwelling place of the Lord. And when the Lord dwells in a certain place, people are drawn and people come and things happen, Okay? So that, that's just one of the things. But I know there are other things that have been spoken over this church. And so if you remember, you say, well, I remember once there was something that, about this and that. You, you need to let me know, either by email or a note, smoke signals. I, I, whatever, whatever it is, uh, I, we need to bring those in together and to find out exactly. And then not only that, but I think what's going to happen is there's going to be some new things that are going to come that God is desiring to say and speak over this church for uh, the times that are coming as well. So there'll be a fulfillment of prophecies and there'll be like a launching of, of some other things to happen. And I don't know what those are. I just feel that stirring in my spirit. So there'll be a fulfillment, but the fulfillment, is, fulfillment of something is not the end. It's the launching place into the next thing that God is doing on the earth because he's, his mercies are new every day. God is, is doing different things. And so that's the problem when people hold on to something that was from 1967 and are like, well, when we did it back then, this was really awesome. This is really wild. The problem is, is that was 1967. This is 2022. Let go of what was and embrace what God is wanting to do. And you have to put your heart, okay, hear me. You have to put your heart in a place that you're willing to let go of some things to embrace what God has you do because you can't hold on like this. You can't hold on to the past. You got to let go. Bless that. That was an awesome work. And now we're swinging into the, what God is desiring to do now. And that takes a heart that desires Listen, our hearts have been beat up for a long time. There's been a lot of things that have happened in life, and I'm not even talking about COVID, but COVID is one of them, but there's hurts and all these things that we've had hopes of things that we felt God was saying, and then we got beat up by the world for it, and sometimes we tend to let go, and it goes back into that realm of dreaming and wishing instead of laying, home, laying hold of and seeing happen, right? Okay, and so... So that's the second thing. The third thing, and we're going to get some cards out to you because this fast is going to be from March, what is it? What did I say? It's 40 days. The second, is that what I said? Yeah, let me get my, let me make sure I do this right. Um, yeah, it's going to be the second, Ash Wednesday, it's when it starts, to uh, the 14th of, of April. That's about 40 days, okay? It's a Daniel type of thing. So I've given you a few days to be able to go to the store and get some lettuce. I don't know. So we'll put some stuff, we'll put some stuff in the bulletins for next week to give you an idea of what a Daniel fast is. Now listen, it's not going to be easy. Even though you get to eat, you're, you're not eating the things maybe that you're used to eating, right? So, um, so I'll explain more of that in the coming weeks and put some stuff out on the bulletin uh, about kind of what a Daniel fast is. Thirdly, Okay, so corporately, there's things that we as a body have known that God has spoken of, uh, but haven't seen come to the fullness of it yet, okay? Thirdly, um, there's going to be a blank line on this card. A blank line is for you or your family, because there have been things spoken over you personally that you haven't seen come to fruition yet. 
And so during this 40 days, you got the first two things, and the third thing is going to be all about you. You're going to write down on that third line, what are the things that God has spoken over to your life? Now, it doesn't mean that it's, uh, you know, it's exact timing, but you've you got to lay hold of what God has spoken. And, and so he's like, maybe I don't know what God has spoken over me. I, I don't know if, if, uh, if God has spoken anything over me. You don't know? Yes, yes, he has. He has. There's something, okay? And if you remember what those things are, you write that down, and for that 40 days, you're praying for that thing for you or your family to enter into as well, too. You don't want to leave this earth with things unfulfilled in your life. And I believe that can happen. I do. It's not that God's will doesn't get done, but it'll go to the next person in line, okay? And so I don't want to leave this earth without, with, with things that God has called and things that God has spoken never taking light for me. Not saying they won't happen. Somebody else may get it, but I, I don't want that. If I'm his first choice in this, I, I want to align myself with what that is. Okay? So there's the fast. Now, if that's not enough, listen, when we did this 24-hour prayer thing a while back, I was concerned about people, uh, what would you think about? And everybody was talking about, man, that 24 hours of prayer was incredible. It was awesome. God was doing a lot of stuff in that time. And, we, you know, 24 hours, every, a lot of people here were taking an hour every, for every day for a specific amount of time and praying over things, right? So there was a 24-hour prayer thing. Okay. So the last week of the, the Daniel fast, the 7th through the 14th, we're going to do 24 hours of prayer. So the last week of the fast, the 7th through the 14th, we're going to do 24 hours of prayer. Hey, I hope you're excited. I do. Because um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to manipulate God to do something. So don't think that's what fasting is. I'm not trying to manipulate God into doing something. I'm aligning myself with what God wants to do. And that's what we want to do as a church. What does God want to do? Let's align ourselves. Let's fast. Let's seek. Listen, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. And he tells you how to do it, right? So the idea of fasting is never about, oh, maybe I'll do it here. Maybe I'll do it there. Maybe I don't need to do it at all. The, the Gospels don't talk about that. The, Jesus said when you fast, not if, right? You know, make sure it's, so, and he gave you the thing. So fasting is a part of the New Testament church. Not an if, but a when. And I have been so guilty of not fasting enough. And sitting back and, and saying, oh God, when are you gonna do this? But I, I say it with my mouth, but I'm not putting my, my, my money where my mouth is, right? I'm not putting my walk where my mouth is. As if I really believe this, and I'm gonna align myself with it. And so the idea of the fast is this. The Daniel fast is this. When Daniel was taken into captivity, you remember that? Maybe some of you were there. Okay, when he moved, when... Um, when Daniel was taken into captivity, right, uh, he was one of the young kids and, you know, one of the brightest, the brightest and the best, and they were going to work in uh, um, the king's palace, right? And they were taught Chaldean and all the different things of, of that nation that defeated them. Okay, so for that, uh, the king's guy came and said, here, here's all the meat of the king, here's all the wine of the king and stuff like that. And Daniel gets in him, remember, when he says, listen, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to eat that stuff, Right? And the eunuch is like, ah, uh, yeah, you are. Because <laughs> not your head, it's my head. And so what Daniel says, listen, give us 10 days and let us just eat lettuce. Let us just eat lettuce. Let us eat the good things, the live food, right? We're going to reject the king's food's portion and we're going to do with this. Give us 10 days and see what happens. The Bible says that after 10 days, they were brighter, they were more alert, all this different kinds of stuff. They're like, blah, blah. why is that? Is that just because they ate carrots? It is not. Because what Daniel did, I believe, when he was back in that time and coming back into you know, oppression or going into oppression and being taken away from the world. I think what happened in him was like remembering a call that what God said for them way back when is come out and be separate. If you are my people, you need to come out and be separate from the world. 
There's a difference between kingdom of God and the world of God. And so that's really what I believe that this fast is, is, is what we're saying to the Lord is we want to come out and we want to be separate from the world. We want to get all the, the garbage that we're faced with day in, day out, and we're not just going to take it and let it sit there. But I believe that when you come out of this fast, there will be things that you never go back to. Okay? And so it, it may look a little weird to the world, but it's going to be right on when it comes to the kingdom of God. Okay? So those are, uh, so that's it. So I'm excited. I am. I know it's not going to be probably the easiest thing. And listen, you know, you can amend the fast. I'm not going to be a legalist about this and stuff like that. I'm not going to be coming down and searching through your garbage to see what you ate or anything like that. I'm just saying that this is where I think God is leading us and, and join us. Join us. If you have to amend it in some way, shape, or form, amend it in some way, shape, or form. It's not, I'm not talking about legalism, but, but put your heart there. Let it be softened by the Lord and, and for the things that the Lord wants. So, um, cool? Okay. All right. Let's go to Ephesians right now. I'm not trained, I'm not, I hope nobody's like, some of you who are new are not weirded out by it, and I hope some of you that are old are like excited about it. You know? Also, what you need to do in this fast, and uh, I can send this out either in the bulletin or an email or something like that, but you need to be specific with it when it comes to the personal things, okay? You need to, you need to, write, you need to write down of this is what I'm fasting from, this is what I'm giving up, right? This is when the fast starts, this is when the fast ends, and this is what I'm believing God for. Now, I gave you two things to believe with. I want you to fill in the things that are personally for yourself. And I want you to hang it on your refrigerator. I want you to hang it wherever in the house because I want you to be reminded of this because sometimes during the fast, we just get, you know, the grumpies and we're not eating cookies anymore and I really like cookies. But you, you want this center somewhere in your household for all to see of this is what we're fasting for and believing God for. Now, there's a greater thing when it comes to uh, like we're, we're believing for revival this prophetic thing for revival we're believing you know that we need harvesters do you know that Jesus what Jesus said 2,000 years ago is, is still true today right that the field is ripe with harvest so pray to the Lord that he would send harvesters in there. So what he's saying is like, I've got, I've got things that are ripe and willing to be, and willing to be taken and, and, and brought in, but I don't have enough laborers that are gonna go out there and bring them in. The laborers are evangelists or people that are going out and, and, and speaking the word of God to people, right? And we need people of prayer to, to join them as well too. So, all right, I don't wanna keep going. We need to get through um, Ephesians the next two times and then... Um, Okay, so um, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Ben came up to verse 21, and um, he gave, left me with verses 22 through Ephesians 6 through 9. I'm going to put those together today, okay? Because, because chapter um, verses and chapter headings that separate the Bible were never really in there. This was actually just one letter. And so sometimes a chapter, uh, it's the start of a new chapter, we think is the end of the last chapter, and it's not. It's the continuation. So here what we have. First, you have to understand that we serve a God of order, yes? Amen. Yeah, we've got things in the Bible that talk to us about order of church services and stuff like that, yeah? So he's a God of order. He's not a God of disorder. As a matter of fact, when there was chaos, God spoke a word, and the words that he spoke in Genesis were about bringing order to, out of chaos. So God did that. It wasn't a big bang. Well, it was. God said it, and bang, it happened, right? And so um, God spoke the world into existence. He created everything, and um, the Bible says it. I believe it, I be and, and that establishes it for me. And so I believe that God created the world. Um, you have you do have evolution and it's 
its ideas and theories really starting to fail. They don't want to really admit that, but it really is starting to fail and crumble as a science because um, it's not really true. You, you, didn't, you didn't come from a monkey or an ape. You may act like it. But that's your sinful nature, not your Jesus nature, okay? So we as a church, we believe what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. So God established the earth. He created it. He created the seas. He created all, everything in the seas. He created everything on the land and stuff. Now, uh, the reason I, wow, why did God, why did God make mosquitoes, right? Hey, listen, you don't know what they were before sin. Because we have no real understanding of what life was like in the garden before sin happened. Sin did not just affect you. Sin affected the entire world. And so there was, I believe, uh, forgive the word, an evolution from the original creation that de-evolved in what sin did into the heart of everything. Okay? So I don't know what a, a lion was really like in the garden. I almost sang the song. Never mind. Uh, I don't know what its original intention was, but I know that when sin happened, what I'm seeing in the world today is evidence of what sin does, not just in my heart, but throughout the world. And so, and so we want to look at science and look at things today and then go back. The problem is you need to start from the original intention and then come forward. And I was, we were, there was an original creation that sin has ruined. Which is why at the end of time, he's starting all over again and remaking a new earth, right? And a new heavens. Because in the final, when it's all said and over, there's going to be that original creation again. And those who are in Christ are living, trying to live culturally in the kingdom right now, but you'll fully have it when you come to see him, right? Okay, so uh, there is an order out of chaos. So God makes order out of chaos. Listen, um, your life outside of Christ is chaos. Can anybody remember that? What life was like before you knew Jesus, right? It was absolute chaos. You may have been okay with the chaos is because you didn't really realize you were in chaos. And then once you have Jesus come into the scene and he changes your nature, you look back at the old nature and, and then you see the chaos. That was, that was crazy. That was crazy. You know, I, there were things I did in... in my years that are just absolutely stupid, dumb, ridiculous, sounded like fun at the time, but you're hoping to God, you're thankful that you didn't have social media back then, <laughs> you know, but then when God came on the scene, you, you realized that there was an order. You didn't feel, realize the full extent of it, but you knew that there was something different, and God was going to begin to organize your life, not not according to the world, but according to the kingdom. And so priorities change from being over here in the world to being in the kingdom. And you're now getting the organization and, and, and of heaven in you, the administration of heaven in you, how you're supposed to live in this world that's contrary, but you're a citizen. So God is in, in mankind. He's, he's, when he saved you, there's, there's, he's, he's recreated you, right? Just like when he spoke, let there be light, he brings the light at salvation into you, and he begins to recreate that new body. Now, while I'm on this earth, I'm figuring out all that stuff. It's like you're learning to walk again, right? I mean, the baby was born with legs, but it doesn't learn how to use them uh, a year or so down the road, right? At first it starts crawling, and then it's figuring out these legs, and all of a sudden, well, the process of, but it was created. It was given everything it needed at birth, but it takes time to walk. And it's the same with sanctification with you. You've been recreated when you've been saved, but now we're going to walk out all this other stuff. Now I'm going to learn what it means to live with the organization of God, the holiness and righteousness in me, so it's going to look different to the world. If you're not weird to the world, you better get so quick. Because the organization of heaven, the, the kingdom of God is going to be very weird to the people around you who are not in the kingdom yet. It was a little bit like that with me at ShopGo, right? I went to Promise Keepers. I came back. I gave myself to the Lord, rededicated, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I'll leave that up to him. And all of a sudden, I'm different than what I was. And they knew it immediately. Eric comes up to me. He's like, what? What? what's going on with you? You know, his sarcastic sort of tone. I love that guy. He was absolutely hysterical. But uh, when things changed with me, 
there were questions. Some people were like, yeah, whatever, do you. Um, others were like, it's, it's a fad and it will change. And it didn't. Didn't mean I was perfect, but it didn't. And so they're cool with it. You do you type of thing. That's cool, glad, blah, blah, blah. But it was different than what they knew and what they were used to. Because they didn't, you know, the, the sailor mouth and all this, the fun guy and, you know, all these different kinds of things. Yet, um, I wasn't doing those things. All of a sudden, my mouth changed. And I was speaking a different language to them. It was the language of love from the kingdom, not the world and the culture. And so, um, it was weird to them. I wasn't being weird. I wasn't like all of a sudden wearing kilts to work or anything like that, you know, which I should have tried. But... Um, it was still this human body, but there was a character that was changing, had changed, and continuing to change. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of things during that time that were coming against me, not out of meanness, but um, seduction to draw me back in into that again. Uh, and so there's, a, but there's an order of things. Now, I say that to preface what I'm about to read to you because if you embrace this with the world mindset, you'll hate the word of God. You'll hate it. Because you'll start thinking about this as um, being under somebody's thumb when actually it's about order and freedom. So here's what it is. Wives, subject your own, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here we go again, right? Just another male preacher trying to dominate women. Unfortunately, I have to apologize. That, that was done. There, there are chauvinistic people who read these scriptures to try and manipulate and control. That is true. That's not the intention of what Paul is saying here. But it is sometimes what people have prot um, to... Uh, to manipulate and control people. So that when a woman has an opinion about something, they can throw, oh, you, you, yeah, you're not subject to your own husband. You know, you're not, they'll, they'll throw these scriptures out at people. So yes, let me just say that there are male chauvinistic preachers out there that use these scriptures to manipulate and dominate women. Absolutely. And don't listen to them. If you've listened to them on TV, even though they talk great about other things, stop listening to that jab. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is an order of how things are supposed to flow in. Okay? The, the order of the Lord. It has nothing to do with your value. And when you connect it to an order to a value, you're always going to feel like you're second best. And that's not what God is saying. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. What he's doing here, he's like, wives be subject to your own husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be, um, ought to, be to the husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. So we'll stop there for a second. So he's talking about this divine order. So when you go back to Genesis, who was created first, right? Adam was. And the Lord is looking at Adam and it's like, man, you know, I've looked around of everything that I created and that guy needs a, a helper, right? So I, I can't do the orangutan because he's just not quite right, you know, and the, the grill is a little silly, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up man, I'm going to take out a rib, and I'm going to fashion out of it a woman to be a helpmate for Adam. That means, guys, you could never do the things that God had called you to do without your wife. How valuable is that? Because he looked all over creation. It's like he, God realized that, listen, he's lonely. What do we got? Well, let's just, let's just, let's just make a woman. And we'll fashion it. And, it and, and, and the Bible says that he brought her to man. And Adam called her woman. Because she came from man. So, the first thing we have to understand is, guys, we can't do it alone. And so God gave you a helpmate. So, this is, this is important because if you devalue your, your helpmate, you devalue what God has called for you to do. 
If you read this wrong and attach value to it instead of it's just an order, you're going to be in trouble. Okay, so man was created first and then woman. And, and the order of which things happen is like, wives, be subject to your own husbands. This is, you know, have you ever been around people where uh, I have, and I cringe at it a little bit, because um, people will talk about sometimes about unha- how unhappy their marriage is, and um, they are so absolutely critical, and they say, oh, he's worthless. He's this, he's that, he's that. And, and what happens is, is you may have some small problems, but you've made it worse by what you've spoken into the situation. Okay? And when you speak into the, and it's both sides, men do it too. Oh, she's just a witch, man. She's just a nag. Um, you really want to speak that way about your helpmate? You make matters worth by what you, you say. The power of declaration is, is powerful, Okay, and so um, as you're, we're looking at what happened here, it's subject to your own husband because this is the order for the husband is the head of the wife, but Christ is also the head, like Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body, but the church is subject to Christ. So also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. It's just an, it's an order. Why? Because God has ordained an order. Listen, when she ate the apple, Nothing happened until he ate the apple. Because she didn't bear the responsibility of leadership that Adam did in the garden. This is why Jesus could be born of a woman, but not of the seed of a man. Are you following me? God didn't use a substitutionary man, a pretty good guy like Joseph, who slept with her before he should have, and out came Jesus. No, it couldn't work that way. Because the seed of man carried sin. And everybody that was from after Adam and Eve was sinful by nature. And so when Jesus comes along the line, right, we're not going to, it's not going to be a human seed. It's going to be a supernatural seed of the Holy Spirit that's going to go and fertilize the egg in Mary. Mary's going to give him, you know, the humanistic traits. He's going to look like a man. He's going to walk like a man, right? He's going to dress like a man back then. But God gave him divine character, the divinity of everything. Now, I know the Bible says that he laid that stuff down, but he still was what he was, all right? So he had an uncommon relationship with the Father that he would go and he would seek. And his purpose was he was coming down in an order, right, because he... In the beginning, it's him and God. It's the Trinity. But when sin happens, and to orchestrate this, there's going to become an order where Jesus is going to have to take on human likeness, right? And he's going to always defer to the headship of the Father. He doesn't do what he wants to do. He does what he sees his Father doing because he's a good son. And the reason that that happens is so it, it gives us an idea of how the relationship between us and our father is supposed to be like. See, there's a restoration of a relationship that comes by Jesus' sacrifice that brings us back into relationship with the father again. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's an order. And then after that comes the Holy Spirit. They're not less. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to take off, but the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're really going to like him. Because he's going to remind you of everything that I taught you. <laughs> and all he's going to do is really talk about Jesus <laughs> to the world. Okay? So there's an order there. There's an order in family relationships. Headship of the man. Submission to the wife. So what does she have to submit to? What does she have to submit to? to the leadership and the mantle that God had placed on the man. What that does not mean is abuse. What that does not mean is having them under my thumb and I get my way all the time. No, because the, what happens there is he goes to the man and says, now listen, now you got to love her like Christ loved the church. So guys, I hope you're building a cross in your garage because you got to love your wife like Christ loved the church, which means you're going to serve you, 
you don't, you don't lead. Remember Jesus having this conversation with his disciples? He's like, listen, the Gentiles in leadership lorded over people, which means they're oppressive. He's like, not so in the kingdom. Which means that just because God has given you headship, he hasn't given you the right to become oppressive and heavy. What he's given you was the ability now to serve like he did. Remember, I did not come to be served, but to serve. You want to be like Jesus? It's a whole lot of dying and not getting your fleshly way. Everybody wants to be like Jesus, you know, healing people. But, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. <laughs> so in this idea of, of coming together, why is we subject to your husbands? It's going to be easy to be subject to your husbands when your husband is loving you like Christ loved the church. So there is this connection that uh, you got to do what you got to do. I got to do what I got to do. And we're going to meet in the middle. And we're we're going to be like this. We're going we're gonna to accomplish what God has for us down this road because we're working in tandem together. We're working in the order that God had established. Husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her, which means it's not about you and your position in the culture anymore. It's not about you having the right kind of job. It's not, you know, I've positioned. Yeah, it's not about that. It's about taking on the leadership of bringing up your family along the path and the journey of following Jesus. And a lot of times you got to die so that they can grow. So the world has taken the scriptures and turned it into male chauvinistic stuff. And that's not what it is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. That word there is not logos. The word there is rhema. I would just always imagine that it was probably logos. Bringing them up in the Word, bring them up in, in the Bible. And yes, you should, but, but the Word is rhema, something uttered, something spoken. Listen to what he says here. Or that I might sanctify her by having her cleansed by the washing of the water of Word. So there's some baptismal things that are in there, but in reality, I think what Paul is talking about is that in, in Jewish custom, when they were to get married, you know, we know the whole year thing, but once it was time to come together, the bride would take a bath. And she would bathe. And what, because the wedding, the, the, the consummation of everything, she would bathe. And she would get, she'd wash all up, they get out, and they would per- perfume her, and they would anoint her. And this is what the word does to people. With logos, but rhema, spoken. This is what I've declared, kind of like an invitation That he's going to present, that he might present himself, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So he's taking this, this correlation between marriage and between Christ and the church. And he's saying, listen, guys, you've got a great responsibility here to lead, but leading is not um, having control. Leading is about dying and serving and putting your wife in the position that she can be presented spotless and blameless, holy and righteous. And everybody said, okay, just checking. So he says, husbands, you gotta love your own wives as your own bodies. You gotta love your wife as your own body. And, and, and quite frankly, that, that's where the rub comes in, doesn't it? Because when we get right down to it, a lot of times if we're honest, we really love ourselves more than anything else. But I gotta I got love her more than my own body. There's, I've got a, this, this idea of, of being in marital relationship is not easy. The wedding day is the easiest day you're ever going to have. No matter how crazy it may have been, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ever watch those Bridezilla shows? (laughs) 
where she's just, the bridezilla is just like, she's like off the hook crazy or whatever, stuff like that. I was like, yeah, yeah, you may make the counseling trip, but you may end before that. <laughs> Who knows? But the wedding day is the easiest day you're ever going to have because the rest of your life, the wedding day is like salvation. The rest of your life is like sanctification. It is. I'm, I, this is it's, I'm not being silly. You're spending the rest of your life figuring out how to become one and to live in accordance of what that oneness is. So I got to love her like I, more than I love my own body. Why? Because she came from man. She came. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are all his body. So he's like, Listen to this, there's, there's, a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of things to do in this, guys. And some of us said, I do, before we understand what I do meant. That's okay. That's all right. But now you've got a responsibility now, because I just read the word, explained a few things. Now you've got to do it. And if you haven't been doing a good enough job, you need to repent to your wife. I've been thinking more about myself than I have about you. What are your needs? What, what can I do? A short time ago, I sat down by my wife, and uh, uh, maybe a year ago, we were going through the scriptures, and I'm like, all right, listen, I was reading this, and I'm like, I'm going to disciple you. Because I came from a church background that she didn't come from, right? I'm not saying she doesn't know anything. I'm just saying she didn't grow up in church. She did not have the benefit of what I had. And I said, well, what are some things you want to know? And there were, you know, maybe a few things here and there, but that, but then you like let it go. Then, then life comes in and you get busy. And all of a sudden, kids got to go here, kids got to do this, and all the thing that, things that suffer the most are the things that you value the most. And so my kids are great, my grandchildren is wonderful, but I'm not in covenant with them. I'm in covenant with her. My kids are going to grow up and leave me. My grandchild is not going anywhere, but my kids are going <laughs> to grow up. I'm just joking. You're going to grow up. You're going you're gonna to grow up. You're, you're going to find the people that God has for you. You're going to get married. You're going to start your own families. That doesn't mean I'm, we're out of it. Of course, we're going to be around. But you're going to make covenants with people before God to be in a lifelong relationship till death do you part. That's the covenant I'm in with her. Now, when I'm good at my covenant with her, I'm going to be good with my kids. When I'm not good in covenant with her, I'm not good as any, at anything else. I'm not nearly as good of a father to my kids if I'm not living in covenant relationship to its fullest with her. And I've seen at times when I failed, so many times when I failed at it, yet he keeps calling us to it, right? And the only thing that has to matter is I, I got to die. I got to die to some of these things. Like, you know, if, if it was football or if it was hunting. And, you know, I, I've seen we, guys, sometimes we get so um, excited about our hobbies that we spend a whole lot of time doing our hobbies and, and neglect the real things that are at home that are, that, are, that are crying for our attention. But sometimes we leave those um, responsibilities on the altar of sacrifice to pursue our hobbies. And things suffer. Okay, so there's an order. Wives subject to, you, subject to your husbands. Husbands, you better love your wife as, as Christ loves the church, right? And then it doesn't stop there. This order keeps going on. Now he's like, now listen, kids. Chapter six. Hey, obey your parents. Obey your parents. Obeying your parents is not something that is to be manipulated. You don't obey me, and boy, I'm gonna sock you right in the, right? Guys, we felt that sometimes, you know? We, we wanted, you know, the flesh is like, oh, oh you're going you're gonna to give me lip? I'm going to fix that lip, right? <laughs> you know, you, well, you won't be rebellious to me. You won't, right? And we come out as this monster that is going to command it. 
and lord it over them and you will walk the line or baby i'll beat you with the line <laughs> you know and some of us have grown up with that maybe but but that wasn't god you see when the bible talks about god and talks about him as long suffering <laughs> that's what we we don't understand we don't understand really the long-suffering of God because he is the father, yet so many of us still act like disobedient sons and he hasn't struck us dead yet. He still keeps calling as this loving father. This father in the parable of the, 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 the son, the father is standing out looking and waiting for the son to come back. The father really didn't carry on with his business. He stood out there waiting, looking for the son. He couldn't force the son to come back but he was waiting for him. And we were, you know, some of us were beaten, were beaten with uh, the Board of Education. <laughs> we, were, we were disciplined maybe out of anger and not out of love. And see, the discipline of the Lord, whom the Lord loves, the Lord, he disciplines, right? And the Lord doesn't, so many of us fear the discipline of the Lord is because what we're really thinking about is the discipline of our early father. <clears throat> And if my early father didn't love me, I'm not going to look at the discipline of the Lord as love, even though the scripture says that. I'm going to look at it as harshness, and I am unworthy of being called a son. And maybe your father didn't even care. <laughs> like you were born, but you, maybe you felt the, your whole life was as a life of where you just really didn't exist. See, a lot of times we talk about girls, but guys... It's the same with us. My father was never really around. He never really cared. He never really uttered three words to me. Never. I, I have talked to people where dad, and I don't think they're, they're being, I don't think they're making this up or exaggerating, but dad never said, I love you. Never said it in their entire life. I don't understand that because I, I did get it a lot. But I don't understand how, but but you've lived in that. And so because you've lived in that, you ha there's this hard to understand how this heavenly father, so full of love and grace, can extend that to you when you have no idea what that is about. So what I want to tell you that it is not impossible for you to feel that from your heavenly father. You may never get it from your earthly father. I get that. Your earthly father has a five-gallon love tank, and you have a ten, and he's never going to be able to fill your love tank. So you've got to get it from your heavenly father. We've got to stop looking to other people for our validation and seeking the things that only God can give us from that. So as you're looking at this, children, obey your parents. All of these things of order are not, there's nothing unless he does this. Unless this happens. Which means that, listen, there are going to be times when husbands are not acting like they should be, but it doesn't give the wife permission to get out of that. I'm not talking about abuse or physical abuse or anything like that. I'm talking just a basic marital relationship. I don't even think he loves me. I don't even think this. I don't even think that. I, maybe he does, but maybe there are things, maybe he's not living up to his relationship or maybe there are things that have happened in his life that he does not know how to deal with. So maybe he doesn't feel like, you don't feel like he deserves that type of submission. But, but God doesn't give you an out here. He doesn't in this. Guys, maybe, maybe your wife is really critical. I've heard guys saying, you know, oh, what a nag. You know, oh, I married my mother. Hey, if you ever get in an argument with your wife, I suggest you never use that line. <laughs> I really don't. Don't use it. Maybe you've, maybe you've said these things and the, maybe, the, maybe she's in a place and, and you know, you understand that maybe she's in a place where uh, things have happened. She, she can't get to that place, but that doesn't give you an out. 
not to love and serve her because you're not going to argue your way into the good graces of a relationship between you and her and the Lord. Listen, woman, the Bible says submit. I have never seen that happen and work well. Never in my entire life. Usually, that's going to breed something different. Anything that starts out with woman, you've gone down the wrong track. You really have. It doesn't work real well. But if there is hurt, if there is trauma, if there is turmoil, if whatever is going on, whatever it is, I have found that a soft word, a gentle word can turn wrath. When I am acting as, as God has called me to act, I understand that there's power there that is released from heaven, that that allows me to be far more compassionate with the Lord in me than I ever will be in my flesh. All right. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Ooh. Fathers, do not provoke your sons to anger. Right? So he's, he's also laying down some things here. This is the order of things are supposed to work. But listen, you, Dad, you don't just command honor. You will honor me. The son knows that he has to honor the dad. Let, make it easy. Don't make it difficult for your sons to honor you. Make it easy. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't be harsh for harsh sake. Don't be harsh because that's all you know. Listen, if God is in you, you can change and you can speak the language of love. So the issue then is like, well, that's how my dad talked to me. Well, okay, but that doesn't mean you got to talk to your son like that. And my father, his dad would, was harsh. My grandfather was harsh, man. He was. You know, he'd get mad and throw wrenches at my dad. And I mean, just, it was another time. We understand that. 30s and 40s. I get that. So my dad could have been the same way to me because that's how he grew up and that's all he knew. But you know something? He never was. He, he was never harsh like what he described he went through growing up. My dad, doesn't mean that dad didn't get angry sometimes. Sure, there's always, I do stupid stuff. Dad's going to get angry, right? I treat his cars like crap. He's going to get angry, right? You know, I had a little bit of a lead foot in case you didn't know. Um, so, uh, so there were times when dad had to throttle me down a little bit because I wasn't, the money he paid for the vehicles, I wasn't treating with respect. But I always, I always loved and I always tried to honor my dad, but he always made it easy to do. See, the trouble comes is when, and husbands and wife, the same thing. Hey, make it easy, guys, for your wife to submit to you and your leadership. Women, make, make it easy for your man <laughs> to love you. And the only way this happens is, you, is, is the Spirit of the Lord. So you don't provoke your children to anger, but you bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's like the, it, there's, there's going to be discipline, but discipline is not always negative. Discipline is about teaching people how to live disciplined lives. You know how it is. You know, I've gone upstairs and in the room, and the, their bedroom is a mess again. Right? How many times have I told you to clean this room? Said those things from my own mouth, right? But sometimes they're overwhelmed, and sometimes they don't understand the discipline of how to live a disciplined lifestyle. And so you can yell at them to do something, but if you don't teach them how to be disciplined in areas of their life, they're never going to get it. You're always going to have, they're always going to mess up. They're always going to, at some point, leave their room a mess. And it, it shouldn't be. But don't make it about the room or you're always going to be angry. Make it about the heart. And I have my times, at times as I've, I've, I have felt, wow, Stephen, sometimes you respond more like your grandfather of the old than you do your father. Like, where did that come from, Ivan? <laughs> Now, my grandpa got saved, and he got a lot chill, and I didn't know that angry guy. 
I knew the guy that I had to beat to answer the door when he lived with us for four years because there was a girl. I said, I'll get it, Grandpa. He's like, don't think that every time there's a pretty girl out there that it's for you, boy. <laughs> he had a sense of humor. But I also watched, I al- this is what I also watched of, his, of my father. As I watched him take his dad in and take care of him, even though there wasn't a great relationship growing up. I also watched as my dad, right, honored his marriage vows and took care of my mother. I watched as my dad, uh, uh, they weren't marriage vows, but when my, my Uncle Ken got sick and was dying, and he was supposed to go to a knee thing, and they did a heart thing, and so he well, you have to have open-heart surgery. So he's down there, he does the open-heart surgery, they bring him home, and all of a sudden he goes septic. And it took about six to nine months for him to die in a hospital. And my dad drove my aunt Doris every single day to her husband. Every single day. Mom would go the majority of the time, but mom's like, I need a break today. Hey, that's fine. But dad took Doris to see Ken every single day. So it becomes, it becomes this thing to look at and to try and emulate because he, he kind of made it easy. Now, I get it. You may have not have seen that. You, you may have not have had that, but, but I'm telling you, it's still available to you through the word of God if you allow it to become alive and active and working in you. He can, look, he can take your past and make you not repeat it if you let him. And you're like, I don't know how to be a father. He does, and he knows how to be a good one. And if you will align your life with him, he will make up the loss. All right, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. Okay, well, let's just throw that scripture out because we're Americans. What God is doing is saying, in the culture of the day, this is how I want you to act. Now, if we look at this culture of the day uh, for us today, listen, the workforce. I get that there are companies out there that have a feral spirit. They do. They, they want to take every, every last ounce of you and beat you down. And I get that. I'm, I don't, I've worked for one of those years ago. And um, I, I understand that. And I understand the heaviness that comes with that. I get that. So you got some choices. Live under it. Quit. And if you're going to live under it, then you have to live under it with the word of God and what God is saying. What does he say? Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give give up threatening and knowing that both their master and yours is in is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. So what he's saying here is that listen. You're saved as a boss, and you're saved as uh, a slave. We understand that there's an order here, but you're both kingdom people, and don't forget about that. So masters, don't be harsh, and, uh, and slaves, be obedient, and watch how the relationship grows. Now, how do you translate that into the workplace? It's tough, because you're probably not going to have your boss come down like this and say, you know what, the Lord has told me not to be harsh with you. What the boss is saying, you done yet? What the boss is expecting is for you to do five million things in eight or 10 hours. And if I catch you catching a drink of water, I know you're wasting time. That is tough. And you know what? There is absolutely no easy answer for that. But the word of God doesn't give you an out to be a jerk to your boss because your boss is a jerk to you. That's tough. That's tough. You know what? I've seen some things in the scripture where Jesus took some hits from people. The people that were supposed to love him and welcome him hated him. 
And the only way you can be a, sometimes be a witness to your, your boss who's harsh is to be kind in return. You're not validating him and his abuse towards you. You're giving, you're giving an opportunity for the Lord to show his light through you to them. They may receive it. They may reject it. But it doesn't give us an out to be that way. So you're like, well, Steve, can I quit and go to another job? Sure you can. You're not guaranteed you're going to have a great boss. There's a lot of bad bosses out there. A lot of them. So the, the work that needs to be done is in our own heart to be able to respond in love when what's been given to us is harshness and cruelty. And you can do it. You can do it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying, you know, you're going to skip down the yellow brick road and you and your boss will be holding hands through the plant. <laughs> no. But there could come a dime because you've responded. You didn't respond like the rest of your buddies about how much of a jerk he was and all this. You didn't get into that kind of stuff. Even though he may deserve it, you're not, you're not getting into that. You're You're not. And, and sometimes the boss is having a hard day and you come up to him and say, hey, is there anything I can do to help? He doesn't deserve it because of his harshness and cruelty. But I didn't deserve salvation. And you don't know what your response and what your changed heart can do to win someone to the Lord just because you don't respond the way they deserve. And so he's looking through all these things. And I'm going to end here. Uh, and this is where it ends in chapter 6 verse 9 if you don't get the order somewhat working in your life you're not going to be able to do spiritual warfare because they're connected thanks for joining with us today and if that message touched your heart in some way please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.